that's what endurance running is. Like you're in this sport of pain to get faster. You have to constantly push that threshold. Yeah. It's kind of up to you, but yeah, you want to be successful at those things. You've got to match yourself against the best and and the best in, in Spartan racing are people that are used to pushing themselves and are used to that pain and have, have developed coping mechanisms to push through that and push through that better than 99% of people. Stuff that we do is not a healthy amount of fitness at all. I'm so uncomfortable most of the year. Like my hamstrings hurt now. I recently realized that if I only run 50 miles a week instead of 70, I get out of bed in the morning without my bottoms, my feet hurting. So that feels good. My low back is always just so fried. Been a lot of hard days and been a lot of long nights and even though I love the road, I'm missing home somehow. probably closer to there's about 30% that I don't enjoy. So I do feel very, very lucky to be able to do this for sure. Whether that's my coaching business or just through the interactions that I have with people, but I'm, I'm happy that I'm able to, to do this sport because I get to be involved in one of the best communities I've ever met. And I get to travel to different places and I get, get to be a bit of an entrepreneur and sort of create a business. That was Faye Stenning. I'm Andrew Connect, and this is the Unpretentious Podcast. To hear how Faye got started in obstacle course racing, check out episode three. This episode, she was kind enough to return and talk about her 2019 and what she's looking forward to in 2020. And I feel like every year things sort of change for me, mostly like living circumstances. So I'm Canadian and I was in Canada and then I moved to California for the winters and then now I'm in New York City. So it just requires like a lot of adjusting to like the lifestyle here in the city and and the training obviously is a lot different and it's been hard, a hard year because 2018 I kind of had to figure out how to train in New York and I think 2019 like I've I kind of figured that out but it's still, there's still a lot of challenges just being in a sport where you're predominantly running in the mountain races and I'm basically have no access to mountains unless I fly somewhere or take a like drive super, super far. So the first year I moved here, it's like I was sacrificing, like taking subways and renting cars and spending all this time trying to get to appropriate terrain to train on but it just became like very very costly spending like sometimes like 150 dollars on a car to go for a day of running so I've just decided to accept the fact that I'm in a city and and make the most of it and do a lot of gym work and kind of surround myself with the the active and the running community in New York and obviously stay away from the, the social events in the city which has always been challenging but I've just aligned myself with the right people so that's not a huge part of my life but still also enjoy that so I don't know I guess to sum it up 2019 it felt like a very very balanced year I don't think I dominated the race season I don't think I dominated in terms of growing my business I think I just did fair you know um, gain some traction on the coaching got a got a few new clients, started to expand that business, and then stayed relevant in the OCR 
realm, fourth at North Americans and fifth in the series, but didn't again like dominate that. So I think I just kind of did everything fairly well, but I think that to do well at one thing, you really need to focus. And I've tried to have a broader base and not not focus solely on one thing. So yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm happier, happy or not with it. I'm I'm content, I guess, and just looking forward to the next year. You're not defining your year by, I remember I had this one awful moment or I had this one great experience. It's like that's faded from the rear view and you're viewing things in terms of like what is the overarching narrative you're kind of looking at life through now? I've always looked at life through just like more of a holistic approach, making sure that all aspects of my life are, are going well. And for me, obviously, it's my relationships with my boyfriend, but with my family, with my friends, what I do to make a living, which is coaching and obstacle course racing. It seems now to be more coaching is sort of making me more money than obstacle course racing. So obviously, I got to keep that afloat um, and just kind of happiness, like feeling fulfilled at the end of the day. And I think that it sort of shifted doing well at races is is definitely rewarding, but also being a successful business person and helping others achieve their goals and grow something that's a little bit more tangible in terms of just being able to provide a service for other people's bringing me a lot more joy. So I try and look at, at all those pieces. And I think I've always approached life that way, but I've always sort of felt a little bit guilty because as an athlete, you're supposed to really, really just sort of put your eggs into one basket and really just hyper-focus on this one thing, which I've never really been able to do. Even at a young age in university, track coaches are saying, you just got to focus on running, focus on running. Your life has to be running, running, running. And I always like to get involved in other activities in in college and university. And so I'm not a hyper-focuser on one thing. I like to be balanced, well-rounded and I tend to get burnt out if I don't have other things going on and very stressed and have a lot of anxiety when it's just all or nothing in terms of if this one thing thing isn't working out, the rest of your life is a fail. That makes sense. I'm just trying to piece it together with, I guess, one way of asking it. It's like, you, I think in another podcast, you mentioned the idea of finding your why for pushing through pain. For me, it makes a lot of sense. Well, if this is my job and my life, then that's sure a lot of motivation to push through pain. And you're saying that's not where it's coming from, which makes me curious. You're kind of known for being ultra aggressive in terms of you'll do whatever it takes. You enjoy feeling exhausted. Where does that motivation come from? I think that that's like sort of siloed to when I'm racing. This isn't like something that's sort of been new to me, this, this pushing through pain. I started running at like a really, really young age and I learned like pain tolerance and pushing yourself in endurance sports, like very, very, very young. So I hate this. So like so cliche to say, but like, I don't really know how to race sort of any other way. That's just, to me, that's what, that's what endurance running is. Like you're in the sport of pain really. And to get faster, you have to constantly push that threshold and People think like, when is running going to get easy? And our <laughs> our clients always ask us that, like, are these intervals ever going to get easier? And it's like, no, because when they do get easier, then you just pick up the pace, run longer, decrease your set rest. It That's just, to me, the, the sport. And I just don't think there's any way around that. I mean, unless you, you don't want to win races, then you can just be comfortable out there. But if you want to have 
any success in distance running, you you have to. You don't really have a choice to push through that. So it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you saw Free Solo without Honnold, the rock climber, but that's what he talked about. Whereas he just talked about, he's like, it's not that I'm not afraid, I've just expanded my zone that I'm comfortable in. Yeah, exactly. So you still experience the same pain, but for you, it's, that's just normal for you, and that's running, that's your job, that's life. Yeah, a hundred percent. And just as equally as I think Alex is crazy, there's probably people that think that being uncomfortable for that amount of time run, running crazy and doesn't make sense. And like, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Just as I don't want to take risks and go do these epic adventures where the potential of hurting myself is there just like rock climbing. Like I don't want to have anything, any, any part of that, to be honest. I think there's certain people that might not want to have any part of, of being a really good endurance athlete. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can still run and enjoy it and, and be comfortable and, and ha have it still part of your life, just as I can still go bouldering and, and climb up, you know, 10 feet and climb back down. Yeah, it's kind of up to you. But yeah, you want to be successful at those things. You've got to match yourself against the best. And, and the best in, in Spartan racing are people that are used to pushing themselves and are used to that pain and have have developed coping mechanisms to push through that and push through that better than 99% of people. Gotcha. I am curious, what were your goals for this year? What are your goals for next year? Because it sounds like you're saying there's this holistic approach. So it's it's easy to just put it in a stereotypical, well, your goals must be become number one in sport, but that that's not really accurate. Yeah. Um, if you would ask me a couple of years ago, it would have been to be number one in this sport for sure. And I mean, like winning world championships. And, and by that, I mean, winning the world, the Spartan world championships, because that's the series that I, I do, mm -hmm. but I've sort of changed my goals. Not that I, I would love for that to happen, but I'm just more realistic. I'm understanding that for that to happen, there's a, like a lot of sacrifices that would, that would need to be made. And I'm not really willing to, to make those mm -hmm. sacrifices because the payout in my mind doesn't really make sense. For instance, I'm not willing to leave my boyfriend, leave the city, stop growing a business and just kind of hibernate for years in the mountains up at altitude to maybe be a world champion to, you know, if that doesn't work out well, then it's kind of a lost year in, in my mind and and I know that might seem like really negative but I'm going to just be honest like we're not making millions of dollars doing this sport so to me I'm not getting really a I guess a return on my investment right. if I was to solely put all my eggs into that basket so my goals have come back to why I initially started this sport back in 2013 my goals are now to run I guess every single race I can and, and be as well prepared as I can for that race and put up a really, really good fight against my competitors. And I don't ever want to be out of the top five, to be honest, in the world. Now that I've sort of been in the top five consistently, for me to fall out of that, that just wouldn't be fun for me. So mm -hmm. I, I just think that having the most balanced life I can, but still remaining highly, highly competitive. And when I step on that start line, knowing that I've done everything in my control that I'm willing to do with the lifestyle that I want to have, I guess, to perform the best and try and be happy with not so much the placement, but the effort that I've put in. 
I'm just thinking through like the narrative is shifting from, you know, this is just someone who wants to win, which is, I think that's how sport sells every TV event. They care about the number one person who wins. And it's like, well, that's not everybody's story of my whole life is dedicated to one thing. And what is it about being a pro athlete? Like, what are some of the things that you enjoy? The lifestyle that it affords you? Like, I know you went, did some CrossFit challenges. You did like the million dollar mile. Like, are those some of the things that you enjoy in addition to participating in the sport? I think it's just the life that lifestyle that allows me to live. I'm just a huge believer that fitness and being fit is like the best medicine in the world. So I'm just happy to be, whether you want to call it like a role model, an ambassador for fitness, like whatever it is, I'm happy to just sort of be that person that, that sort of embodies that and help people through fitness, whether that's, through my coaching business or just through the interactions that I have with people. But I'm, I'm happy that I'm able to, to do this sport because I get to be involved in one of the best communities I've ever met. And I get to travel to different places and I get, get to be a bit of an entrepreneur and sort of create a business that stems from, from this sport. The day-to-day work becomes harder every year if i was to be honest i've been running competitively for so long and Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna say that i enjoy training i'm not gonna be like oh i just love getting out for 16 miles around central park and doing that loop over and over again or i love doing my tempo runs when i have an eight mile tempo run and i'm trying to hit like sub six pace and i'm uncomfortable like i don't that's not that's not fun for me anymore and you know, it never really was. It was just always a bit more tolerable. But as I become older and I've been doing this for more and more, it just really becomes sort of robotic. So I just kind of do it because I know that's what I have to do to remain top in the sport. But I'm not going to lie and say that's an enjoyable part of of the job is the training. There are some training sessions I, I do enjoy, but there's also a lot that I dread. I think it's just like any job. And one person said to me, I, for, I forget but, you know, if you enjoy 30% of your job, you're better than most, which I think is a really low standard to adhere to. Yeah. But I know I'm, it's probably closer to there's about 30% that I don't enjoy. So I do feel very, very lucky to be able to do this for sure. So you're saying that you never enjoyed training this intensely, or do you think that's just your perspective has shifted over time as you've achieved certain things? In training, especially distance running, you have running and then you have what's called like your run workout and my opinion is like if people are like are enjoying their run workouts like they're probably not running hard enough (laughs) (laughs) i see (laughs) but i like i like my runs because the run workouts are so 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 intense you don't have that many of them during a week usually just two maybe three of those hard hard workouts a week and then the rest is just aerobic mileage and and strength training and all that other stuff, which I do enjoy. But yeah, I mean, the the run workouts like suck, like the stuff that's actually supposed to physiologically like give you a fitness boost from, like that's just hard work and there's no like pretty way to put it unless you're fortunate enough that you like your hard intervals are up mountains and really beautiful places where you can kind of just self by the scenery. But mine's just Mm. um, pavement loops, treadmills. So (laughs) <laughs> I gotcha. When you're saying that you enjoy fitness and you're a big proponent of it, do you consider that fit? I mean, what is a healthy amount of fitness? Is Would you be oh, doing that no, if you weren't a professional no. athlete? 
I would not at all. Like the stuff that we do is not a healthy amount of fitness at all. I'm so uncomfortable most of the year. Like my hamstrings hurt now. I recently realized that if I only run 50 mm. miles a week instead of 70, I get out of bed in the morning without my bottoms of my feet hurting. So that feels good. My low back is always just so mm. fried because, you know, we're training like marathoners, but we're lifting weights, like not, not weights like a marathoner where they're doing like they're grabbing 10 pound dumbbells and doing a few little lunges with them. I'm pushing 300 pound sleds as well as marathon. So yeah, no, it's not a healthy amount of training. Mm. I definitely, I'll probably, when I retire, I would say I'll probably keep 30% of my training in and I'll probably throw out 70% of it mm. for to just, and to me, that's probably a healthy amount of fitness, but no, there's, there's no need this there's a difference of training for health and training for sports performance. Just like there's a difference when you eat for health versus you eat for sports performance. Eating for health is hmm. snacking on some carrot sticks and hummus or something. Whereas eating for sports performance, you're like throwing back goos <laughs> and sugary crap. Like that's not healthy for that's not health. That's performance. And same thing in the fitness, in the, in the exercise world or fitness world, there's, there's differences there. So yeah, I look forward to training just for um, overall well-being. I think that's going to feel super, super easy compared to what I'm used to. And I think I'm going to feel, my body's going to feel a lot better. I look forward to, yeah, not being in pain and tight and tired. I forget your normal is so much different from everybody else's, or at least mine. With your coaching business, are you helping people that are performing for performance or is it mainly the, uh, the other where it's just like a healthy, like stay in shape and meet some personal goals, but they're, are they, are they having the same struggles you are of dealing with pain day in and day out? We have a wide range of athletes. So some people that goal is to just run a 5k, like not take walk breaks. And then we have our higher level athletes that are age group podium finishers. You know, as much as I say, Oh, I'm so balanced, blah, blah, blah. They are bad. Like, truly balanced people in the sense that they are wives, they are husbands, they are like work corporate jobs, they've got a lot going on. So no, we train them for performance because every one of our athletes does have races. So we treat them as if they're athletes and not just exercising to burn calories or to look good. So it's performance-based training, but because there's their incentive in the racing isn't draw to any sponsorships or money or or anything else uh, like naturally it's it's not it's not as hard as, as what we do but for them it, it's a challenge because they haven't grown up running and they haven't grown up um doing all this stuff so we we definitely try and keep it balanced and we mm -hmm. we write them programs but we don't just like write them a program and then say there you go have fun talk to us when you're done it we're constantly on calls with them and modifying the program so They'll ask us like, oh, I got this going on in my life or this going on on tomorrow or the next day. And we rearrange the days and remove workouts as needed. And just it's very, very flexible. And we realize it's their job B. So it has to fit around everything else. How much of who wins just comes down to who put in the, the hardest amount of training for your level of events? So in the elite level, now it's gotten to the point I think in the Spartan world that we're all like relatively the same fitness level when I say fitness level I'm gonna say like 
we probably all could take a VO2 max test or do a 10K time trial or, or a one RM deadlift, like any sort of strength tests, endurance tests. And we would all like, I think if you averaged out all those scores, we would all kind of have that same number. So what it comes down to is just like the little specifics that no one really thinks about. And I definitely didn't think about until recently, but it's like the terrain, the terrain type of the races, the style of races, the, yeah, like, like where you're living and and where you're training, I think definitely impacts because you're going to be more proficient on certain trails. Like for instance, like we'll just talk about like Rhea is really, really good at like non-technical climbing she lives in Colorado, which is full of non-technical climbing, whereas Lindsay Webster is really good at the technical stuff where she has a place in the Adirondacks and she runs the Appalachian Trail and the Tiley Technical. Mm-hmm. So your lifestyle, I think, does does play a huge part, part of it and where you're living. But more so than that, I think it's just it's come down to a bit of a war of attrition in terms of who can stay healthy. So it's not who's training the most is they're training the most because they're not going through an injury. And when that, when elites aren't training, it's because they're hurt. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much even a choice. I think we all are very, very motivated. And when we can, we get out and, and have really solid training days. But a lot of us can't a lot of the time because the season has gotten longer and longer and longer and the injury rates just keep on climbing so yeah, I, I suspect this year, like this year was the longest season and we had the most injuries and you can just sort of see a correlation between the length of the season and how many people are injured. And it's not just for that season. It has a compounding effect moving into next season because the people who are competing in the Spartan series from the first race all the way into worlds, there's very few months that they have off which doesn't give their, if they had injuries the, the year before, they're mm-hmm. likely to have that same injury going into the next year because their body hasn't actually had a proper off season to A, rest to let that, that injury heal, and then B, dig and get into the root cause of that injury so it's not a problem in the next season. So it kind of just rolls into the next season, and we're seeing that with a, with a lot of athletes. Yeah, you look at the end of the year, and it's really who stayed who stayed injury-free, um, aside from Nicole and Lindsay, who were dominant with or without injuries. I'm talking about that next kind of group there. Myself, Rhea, Rebecca, Alyssa, Leanne. Right. As, as an athlete, do you have like an opportunity to, to talk with them in regards to your concerns, just to your well-being? Or is that obviously they want to grow it. The more events for them, the better. But do they have some sort of dialogue with you? No, we've all brought it up. And they don't listen. They're not a sport. They're a mm-hmm. business. So they're concerned about their bottom line and whatever they need to do to make money they're going to do. Regard. So, yeah, I, I, I wish the answer was yes. And I've brought it up and I know many people have brought it up. And but, yeah, it just it doesn't it doesn't really matter to them because they know that us pros, whenever wherever the season is, we're going to try and chase it because that's where the money is and and they've got a point system where you know you can't miss one race you're out of the points and you get paid out based on the points so they kind of have you like mm-hmm. locked in and also like a lot of us are on contract to be at certain races then one of the things about this year I know this wasn't on your list of what stood out to you about 2019 but the the championship series where I guess the water was freezing cold <laughs> 
which is a similar vein of thought as this. How did you handle that experience? I like got hypothermia, so I DNF'd that race, which was sucked and it took me like a long time to get over it. And you're constantly thinking like, was I ill-prepared? But um, it was just a case that Spartan has a certain rule where I don't even know if I should be like talking, talking about, about this, but I'll just say that their rules were kind of broken or regulations were broken to have those water obstacles open because it because it was an exception because it was world championships so it was a little bit of a risky move on their part and then was in the medical tent I'm like oh my god I'm such a wuss I can't believe I couldn't finish this but after seeing like all these grown men come in the medical tent freezing and crying (laughs) I was like all right like this was definitely out of my control so I think once that you realize something is out of your control it's easier to get over. So kind of moved on from that. And I don't think we'll be seeing them put people through water if the water and air temperatures below 80 ever again. So that's good news. I hear you. I hate the cold. Million dollar mile. What was that like? Um, yeah, that was awesome. That was super fun opportunity. Didn't get to meet LeBron James, unfortunately. That was fun. It was good for me to do something different. I've just do Spartan races and so I can be a little bit of a pansy on some of the obstacles and a little bit of afraid of hurting myself or trying new obstacles or learning new skills or moving in different ways. So it was kind of a good sort of apart from it being on TV and all the type around it, it was kind of like a good off season challenge for me to navigate my way through those obstacles and great people on the show. Obviously Hunter's always a fun person to have around Isaiah was there, Robert Killian, Orla Walsh, and Rebecca Hamid. So it was kind of just like a good party with all of my friends. We had a good time, and I don't think the show went well. Or I I know the show didn't go well because I I haven't been approached for a second season. So I think it's, uh, yeah, people weren't weren't too excited about it, which is fine. I was hoping we would do it again this year just because I had fun. But um, that's TV, so... Yeah, it's too bad, but it was a good experience. So did anyone get close to beating you? Because wasn't there like five obstacle courses? All the ones I saw, it's like after one, they're like, I'm done. And no one even tried for more. Did, you, did anyone ever get close to winning? Uh, no, not really. Um, yeah, not really. I mean, some people, you know, made a quarter of a million, I think maybe was the most that was made on the show. It's funny. They just like people just have so it's like you're so hyped because you're on stage tim tebow's there it's like on your mark get set go and like you watch these people take off and i'm like man i couldn't even run 400 meters at the pace there they just go so fast and like anyone that runs like knows like once you put yourself in the tank you're in the tank and it's really hard to get out of it so then by the by when i catch them like I was like jogging, like it's like warm up jog pace that I jog for a Spartan race. Like they had just died. <laughs> but yeah, uh-huh. I mean, it'll be interesting. I think that maybe if they found a, a bit more of advanced runners, I think they were scared of maybe getting away money. So they like found like these like all really, really good defenders. And then the runners, they like were like, they, they could have picked a little bit better. And, you know, just because you think that, like, some people, like, are athletes in terms of, like, they dance or they play basketball or, or whatever. Like, it's it's very different. I think, like, if we got some, like, good triathletes or 
cyclists or, or, or something along those lines, we would have been in, in trouble if they were, if they were, it's kind of like we needed an endurance athlete who also rock climbed. So if you have good body awareness and the, and the tank, like it would have been really easy to make money off that show. Cause I think it was like a two minute head start. It's like huge in a mile. That's what I was thinking. Like two minutes. Like, I don't care how much you, that's just seems insurmountable. Yeah. We were all really nervous. Like Hunter and I were like, we're like, we're like, we're going to get smoked. Like, they need to, like decrease. <laughs> we're going to give away money. Like they need to give us like maybe a minute, but um, yeah. So. And then the CrossFit challenge that was, I think that was down in Miami. How'd you feel about that experience? Yeah, that was awesome. High Rocks is a lot of fun. I guess the best way I can describe High Rocks is in terms of fitness competitions. And I'm going to call like obstacle racing a fitness competition kind of because it's like the sport of fitness. Like it's running and, and you know, so you've got, you've got obstacle racing on one end and then you've got CrossFit on the other end. Mm. And it kind of comes down that like, obstacle racing you can do fairly well if you're just an aerobically you're like have a really good aerobic engine right um, whereas in crossfit you can do very well if you're just very strength and power based athlete whereas this high rocks event it's like right down the middle it, it's crazy it's it was fun because it's like you're playing cat and mouse with people who are your opposite have your Skill opposite set. ability yeah I, I guess like the best way to describe how, how off, like you had me who I had like lapped on the track, like this CrossFitter, her name's um, Boren. And then I had like lapped her so far ahead of her, but then she came back and beat me on the wall balls. So it just goes to show like right now it's like you can suck at something and be dominant at something and still do well. But the people that, kind of have it all figured out like the true all-rounders and it's no surprise that hunter won that competition did really really well and i think something um corinna coffin she like shout out to her she will be really really good at this event she had something that was totally out of her control happen at the race because they had a really bad surface for the sled that you couldn't get any traction but she's like the perfect candidate for this type of event as well. I think it's really, really an awesome event. I'm going to try and get the fastest time in January. I'm confident I can shave off a ton of time off my time and hopefully snag the, the top time at the end of January as long as I learn how to throw a wall ball. <laughs> um, I, I came into the event. I was in first place at the last event ahead of the former world champion by like 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. um, the last event, like huge lead, um, kind of thought I had it in the bag, but um, just don't know how to throw a ball because I just like can't aim, kept like no repping it, not hitting the target, was like uncoordinated because I like tried to put, I used the bucket to touch my butt on the bucket to make sure I went 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. And then I was having a hard time like finding the bucket and like timing, like to hit my butt and like throw it up with the ball. I also like, as we all know, like tend to like gas myself right. running. And usually that's fine because usually I can get through monkey bars and like stuff like that when I'm like in like an oxygen, oxygen deficit, but trying to do a hundred wall balls after like, I just like, ran as hard as I can for five miles it was like a whole it wasn't just like a mini mouse going over a wall it was like a huge task that requires 
a lot of strength and a lot of power. I mean, you think it's just 14 pound ball, but for an endurance trained athlete and for someone um, my size, like that is still a pretty strength based exercise. And I had my stomach in my throat by that point. <laughs> so yeah, anyways, so yeah, I'm just going to, um, I'm going to try and get, I, I'd be fairly confident that I'll be able to do a, t- a ton better in January. And I wouldn't be surprised if I have one of the faster times on the board. But that being said, I fully think that I'm not the only one that can have the fastest time. I think that like a Nicole Miracle and Alyssa Hawley, a Rebecca Hammond are, would do just as well as me. So I'm not saying that right. this is like, I'm the star at this sport. I'm saying that like right now without the obstacle racers coming into it and the top CrossFitters coming into it yet, it's kind of like anyone's, anyone could be the, the sort of face of that sport. So yeah. That's fun. So is the wall ball or the spear throw, which would you choose? <laughs> oh, the spear. Cause it doesn't hurt. Like at least you can fail a spear, but you're not like, you don't have any emotional attachment to it because like, Whereas like wall balls, if you're failing, but you're trying so hard, it just like becomes frustrating. So I'd always choose the spear, but on that end, I might also choose the wall balls because at least it's something that I know how to train for More control. and that I can train for. Yeah. Like that spear. I just, I think they should get rid of the spear and I'm not the only pro that thinks that it's just silly. It has nothing to do with fitness. I just like... You let me know where I can throw a spear in the middle of Manhattan. Like, I <laughs> doesn't. Anyways, I don't need to bitch out about that. People are probably annoyed hearing me uh, just complain about the spear, but I think it should be gone. Well, that's funny to me. The Manhattan spear thrower. Last thing, the like sponsors. Like, what's your perspective on that? It's kind of the same thing. It sounds like you know you talked about the Spartan race. They all they care about is growing the sport, and it's like you're kind of in the same position or dealing with the same thing they have to deal with, which is. Like in terms of sponsors, it's like, well, I need money to live and I need sponsors. I mean, what is that like navigating, like working, representing someone, following whatever their contract says? I mean, it's kind of up to you of how you want to play the sponsorship game. My take on it and how I, you know, try to do it, it's like I'm not someone like I can buy my own shoes. I can buy my own protein powders. I like, I can, if I want a product, I can pay for it myself. Mm -hmm. So it has to be something that I'm going to like use regularly. And it also has to be like a company that I support like morally, like in terms of it's a company that I can get behind. And that's everything from obviously the products they sell, but just the company itself. So it's been a lot easier for me to, get behind my sponsors because I have like some of mine are New York city based. And some of them, I was just at a running conference with one of them. Like I, I know the marketing lady. I know, you know, the, the big wigs at these companies, I can have conversations, not just about like, can you guys pay me more? It's not about that. It's about like together trying to grow their businesses. It's helpful when you, I guess, have relationships with the companies that makes it a lot easier. And then, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it depends like whether you call a sponsorship, just like whether you're just getting product or whether you're getting product and pay. I don't really sign any deals where I'm just getting product unless it's like some. I have one, one sponsor that I signed a deal with them just for product because I generally think that their product is that amazing. 
that I was like willing to just say, don't pay me anything. I actually just want your product. And that was with EJ shoes because they make the best shoes. So I felt like I was going to be at a disadvantage if I wasn't wearing their shoes. Hmm. So yeah, that's the only company I guess that I, I support just because the product is that good. The rest of them, it's kind of aligning yourself with brands that you want to kind of both grow, grow their companies. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say about sponsors. Obviously, it's it's a huge part of obstacle course racing. If anyone's making a living doing this, and you can kind of see the prize money's good, but it's not that good. Part of what you mentioned, helping someone else grow their business. What can you do? What do you see your role as? How do you help do that? I was just with um, Ray-Ban at the running company. And I think that just with my, I have like a, a somewhat of a president in just the running community here. Um, in New York, and they're trying to break into the running scene. They're really known in CrossFit, but they're trying to get more into the endurance scene. Um, as a coach, like I have like a lot of obviously athletes that that run, and so just like brainstorming different ideas of how to break into different markets, as well as just brand exposure. A lot of these new brands, even though I don't have like a huge following, if it's a new brand, like even High Rocks, for example, they were wanting to do a deal with me and I didn't sign with them, but it's like these new brands, even as a small influencer, such as myself, I still have three times the amount of following as a company like that. So helping them by just pure Mm. exposure, just volume of people that are are seeing their name. I think that some sponsors just do just want to sort of help out athletes and and really just kind of want to use us as guinea pigs to sort of see if their products do work and do help us. Um, There's a lot of companies like it's not about, money for them it's just about like honest i think authentic feedback Hmm. for 2020 do you have concrete plans not just for the sport but for life or are you not much of a planner or how do you think about the future like next year plan a is i really my business partner and i um we have a small coaching business and we really want to grow that so uh, my business partner's making a push for 2020 olympics she was in 2016 olympics um, her name's Jessica O'Connell. She's a crazy fast. She runs like a 15-minute, six-second 5K. So this is a big year for her in terms of making the Olympics. But while she's doing that, we're we're really trying to think about, you know, what is her life going to look like after the Olympics and what is my life going to look like after this? So we're we're taking a proactive approach, I guess, and really trying to build build up our business. So we're learning all sorts of things like you have to have a marketing budget and actually market a business. We've been pretty successful by like hardly doing any marketing. So 2020 is about like marketing and getting our name out there and trying to bring, trying to onboard more athletes and trying to help more athletes and trying to get our existing athletes that we do have on the podium. So so many of them are so close. We had a whole bunch qualify for Tahoe this year and we had a bunch of age group podiums. So we're kind of focused on them. And some of them are wanting to transition to the elite category from age group. That's sort of goal A is is the business. And then goal B is like to just continue to be in the mix, I guess is the best way I put it. So I want to, I don't, obviously I'd love to win races and, and podium. And I, I still think I, I will, you know, maybe win win a few races this year and podium at a fair bunch of races but I want to be in the mix so I want to be con- always in contention to win so I want to be which I call in like striking zone so I want to be on Lindsay's heels on Nicole's heels 
whether it pans out at the end of the race, whether I was third or fourth or first or fifth, like as long as it was an honest race and I was competing at that level, I guess that's what that's what matters the most to me. With your your coaching, I mean, how do you guys like share call? Because obviously, if she's running in the Olympics, like <laughs> I'm guessing you're she's not coaching that week online. She takes care of all the running, obviously, because she's she's the run expert, um, and she does like kind of oversees the whole program in terms of periodization because she's also an exercise physiologist. So she's creating the skeleton and then I'm filling in around the running because the running is the most important thing. So I'm doing the strength training and the obstacle stuff and, and helping out with the specific races they're doing, any tips and tricks because I've done most of the venues. We talk every day and it's kind of like, what time do you have available? Like, okay, what time do I have available? Where we share emails you know, so we can cut back on, on the work that way. But it's it's a joint effort. Like it, it's hard because you can't just silo the strength and silo the running. They need to work well together. So yeah, there's really no way for her to just take over or me to take over. And it really needs to be both, both people's input and everyone's programs. Then in terms of marketing, like who are you trying to reach out to? Just anyone and everyone, or do you have a certain... That's what you're figuring out next year, I guess. Is exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You tell me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, we're open for taking anyone. We also have like no problem turning down people if it's not a good fit. Just with our backgrounds, we're both science, kinesiology, and just as a degree and a uh, master's in exercise phys. So it's like we can kind of work with anyone. We When you understand physiology, you understand physiology. You can mm-hmm. work with anyone with any goals. But naturally, just because I guess of my presence it's mostly racers and ocr racers i guess make up the majority that that come to us yeah that's just because we market on my page which is predominantly followed by obstacle racers so it's just kind of where our where our reach is right now but we're hoping to expand that thinking of maybe getting a booth at the new york city marathon Hmm. this year and trying to reach out to a bit more just thoroughbred runners that's exciting. I, I get the you're an athlete and that draws people in, but do you kind of have enough feel from other businesses that how does it work like once you're retired? Do you kind of lose that sense of, well, people aren't seeing me race every week and I'm getting people that way? So that's that's kind of what you're saying, being proactive. It's all about figuring yeah, out. Yeah, that's exactly, you know, the thought is like you kind of got to start something while you're relevant. And, right. you know, um, it's just like – you got to have a kid. You have a time to have a kid that's most appropriate and to be more <laughs> successful at it. Sure. It's kind of like the same thing. You're going to have like a window where you're going to be most successful to start a business. And right now with Jessica, hope to be at the 2020 Olympics and if it just ran at the 2016 and with myself relevant in this crazy growing sport, mm-hmm. um, it just makes sense to, to get on the horse now and start it now. We're hoping that when we're not racing and not relevant, we have enough success stories from our clients that naturally that takes care of itself through referrals and word of mouth. What does it take to be happy? What does it take to be satisfied? I do have one random question. Like all the pictures I've looked at, like where you're racing and stuff, it seems like your nails are always done in them. So I was just curious, is that a thing or? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, my nails are always painted because they're like, they're just like, they don't look good at very good with 
paint with without paint on them. I don't know if I have like an iron deficiency or what, or maybe from wearing nail polish so much they have like this nasty like yellow tinge to them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's from oh, I'll, the women will understand this. Like, you know, when you go get your nails done and they put on that base coat, like they put on a coat before they put on the nail polish to protect the nails from like the polish you go through like years and years and years of like not buying that base coat and putting the nail polish straight your nails like will over time like have this like weird tinge to them <laughs> so that's the honest truth so i always like paint yeah. them and i think that you should know that the place is calm and cold but the thing is that home is where the heart 